Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 13th episode of Chelsea Against the World, the podcast that brings together an American and an Englishman to discuss all things Chelsea Football Club. I'm your host, Manny. And I'm your host, Simon. Manny, lucky number 13. How I are know. you? Doing really, really well, man. Doing well. I've made it to 13 episodes so far. We survived. I know, right? That's crazy. 13 episodes. I feel like an awful lot has happened in those 13 episodes. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it feels like more like 1,013. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like we've been harping before. What a great time to start a podcast yeah. in the trough of Chelsea Football yeah. Club. But after last time, we're talking about moving on, moving right. forward We've we accepted. Remember the five stages of grief. We were yes, accepted. Exactly. We're going to move on. It's, t- it's time to think of the future. So um, we had a really interesting day yesterday watching the Champions League final. Uh how was the rest of your weekend after that? Oh, it was good. Um, we start off first. Uh, Simon and I kind of got together and we went to a bar, a Tottenham bar, actually. <laughs> uh, Tottenham bar to watch the Champions League final, uh, City against Inter. But before that, we actually went to this one place for a sandwich. And I tell you, dude, this is for our national listeners. I had by far the best Cuban sandwich I've ever had in my life. It was it was incredible. It was, it was so good. Absolutely amazing. It was so so good. Do you want to do you want to give the name? Yeah, of the it's place? like I think it's like Fat, Fat Belly, Belly Fat, Fat Belly Pretzel. Yeah, 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 it's in East Nashville, and it's a very unassuming place. You walk in, you you order your food, and Simon and I were actually just talking about the podcast, and we took a bite, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is a <laughs> great fucking sandwich!" Yeah. Just out loud in the middle of the restaurant while discussing future episodes. Everybody heard us as well. It was like a real live podcast of sandwiches. So we're yeah. going to start a new podcast about the best Cuban sandwiches That's in right. the world now. Yeah. It was. It's been. It was actually a very, very good sandwich. It was so tasty. It was delicious, and I think I'll probably go back there for you know in the future for sure. And you mentioned that you had the best Cuban sandwich of your life. Did you have anything else that was the best or worst of your life that day? uh, Last night after the city city game, and then we hung around the bar for a little bit, and then uh, I went and watched the Nashville SC game last night against Toronto with my buddy. Vanit, who's a Tottenham fan. Oh, it's, it's, so, Tottenham is a big theme of yesterday, yeah. right? <laughs> Champions League. Yeah, that's that's right. what I know. <laughs> yeah. We had to go take care of all of our Tottenham fans. They haven't experienced a European triumph at all, so we just want to make sure they're okay. So, yeah, we hung out last night. Then we went to this restaurant called um, Locust Nashville, and it actually got voted by Food & Wine Magazine. It's like the number one restaurant in America in 2022. And in Nashville, it's pretty impressive. Uh, been a couple times, you know, it's, a, it's right by my house. It's, uh, you know, walking distance or whatnot. So I like going there. And so we went last night and I guess they changed the menu and had, they had this Irish gin and tonic. And I went from having the best Cuban sandwich to one of the worst drinks ever in my life. Like it, it was just, it, it was something different. Like, I, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, the food there was amazing. Like it was some of the best tasting food I've had, but that was drink, it better than Wendy's? Uh, you can't beat a frosty, my friend. <laughs> you, sometimes you just can't beat. No, it was, it was really, really good. They have these uh, dumplings that are just phenomenal. It's like they're filled with pork or lamb or whatnot. They steam them, and they're so good. And they have like this really good like pickled vegetables. And they try to like try to mold some sort of Irish cuisine with some Asian or what. It's really hard to actually explain, but it's really, really good. But this gin and tonic, it was just like like. Have you ever smelt somebody who didn't wear deodorant? Like it just like that reeks of like this nasty rancid. Just smell. I haven't personally, but my wife told me that yeah. she hangs around with someone who does do yeah. that all the time. Exactly. So. Put on deodorant, Simon. <laughs> uh, it just like the scent and the taste, and like it was a struggle to finish. I, I'm pretty good at drinking alcohol, and it was just a struggle drinking this gin and tonic. 
But I dilute. It was the the meal was fantastic. Not a good gin and tonic, and I'm a huge gin aficionado. I love gin, like you know, from you know any sort of gin cocktail to like gin on the rocks or something like that. It's 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 a very very good spirit in my opinion. Just not yesterday. Just not yesterday. Oh, no, well, let that Irish I, I, and the Irish do you know alcohol very very well, and I was very disappointed in this Irish gin that they served. Well, they kept you on your toes, definitely, like spinning everything the way you weren't expect it. So, fair play to them. Yeah, let's talk a little about the game yesterday, though. Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting experience yesterday. We went, as Manny said, we went to this this bar called No Quarter in uh, in East Nashville, which is really fun. It's like a pinball themed bar, which is like run by a load of punk rockers, which is really really fun. Quite inexpensive to drink there as well. And yeah, we watched. It seemed like there was one man. T- we actually met the one city fan that exists in America yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> there was one one city fan in there who I have to say was the was the most muted celebration to a Champions League victory that I've ever heard. It, yeah, was, it was like, like one, just, yeah, yeah, one, yeah, at the end, and that was it. Yeah, I was expected to have like some more cheering or whatnot. I mean, it was completely different than when we won two years ago at yeah. tailgate. But he was going full solo wanker in that yeah. bar yesterday. Yeah, exactly. He was a bit of a wanker, to be yeah. honest. So <laughs> I, I, we experienced a little bit of cultural cultural differences between watching English football teams play in a European final for the first time that I've ever experienced actually so I uh, for those who have never watched the game with me I tend to be quite loud and a little bit obnoxious might be a, a little like a slight understatement and when De Bruyne went down injured I thought to myself this is 2021 again he's just got injured so I cheered quite loudly which usually I would say something more than that and this City fan actually got up from the other side of the bar and said to me I don't mind you cheering against Man City but don't cheer when a player's injured and I thought to myself I really hope he never goes to a game in England (laughs) I really hope he doesn't go to a game in England because that is I have to say that I've said this previously before if you think what I say is bad sometimes I'm like the tooth fairy compared to most English supporters and I feel that that might be a slight cultural difference between watching football in america and england that well, i experienced yesterday i think more more in the south because if you go if you go watch football in philadelphia or well, new york or new york yeah, yeah. yeah you'll you'll see the fans there cheering whenever a player gets injured throwing stuff on the field or something yeah, like, like that i yeah. love the new york yankees and their fans are assholes it's yeah, wonderful but here in the south even like college football player goes down the stadium's quiet then he gets up everybody starts clapping and stuff like that it's it's a big cultural disconnect when it comes to sporting and injuries and stuff like that you but you got to experience it yeah yeah i learned that firsthand yesterday yeah. Yeah. luckily like i didn't unload some of the usual chelsea chants that's there, right so. yeah no but the game itself was interesting cuz we both came into the bar thinking it was going to be a 3-0, 4-0, 2-0 drubbing. And it was anything but. Yeah, it was... Uh, we've talked about this on paper. It's a mismatch. It was a complete mismatch. However, alarm bells started to ring for me when, I, again, when we saw the starting lineups. It, was, it had a very similar feel to it than when we beat them in 2021 when Carl Walker was left on the bench and Akanji was playing. Yeah. And... I looked at their setup again this morning and he actually reverted to playing four at the back again, which he hasn't done in months. And I wondered if Inter's tactics really got into Pep's head a little bit because they set up in a very, very different way to most teams in Europe where they play two traditional strikers up top. And for 65 minutes, you would have to say that Inter were the better team and I think they had better chances. But unlike what happened in 2021 when we played them in that situation, they didn't get the goal. We yeah. got the goal when we were on top, and at that point, the longer it went, I think both of us said, "I think we can see City winning this now because you have to take those opportunities." Um, yeah, they had a couple in the first half, but the big ones happened 
in the second half with Big Ron. But you're right, when they were up a lot in the first half with possession, doing well pressing, you know, their center backs were coming out and pressing whenever the midfielders would come in on their side of the field. And, you know, the city was actually losing possession and was just sort of anemic a lot in the buildup. Yeah. And they had that one opportunity that they scored um, by Gundogan again, you know, bring the ball back to Rodri. And what a strike by Rodri. Unbelievable. That was, that was a great curl in on, against both center backs into the side netting and that, or in the, in the side of the goal. And that was just like, they took that one chance and they scored, but Inter had a couple opportunities throughout the game. They didn't. And they, they, Inter won the XG. I mean, we yeah. talked about XG with Chelsea yeah. and they won it's the, the XG. most important stat, Manny. Yeah, exactly. Um, but just watching the game, I was sort of impressed with a couple players on Inter. I mean, first of all, Onana, I thought, had a, had a, had a good game with his distribution mm-hmm. um, and playing out of the back. And then um, two of their midfielders, uh, Barella and Brozovic, I thought were really, really good. I think Brozovic is like a very underrated defensive it, mid. And I think we, we should have signed him, was it five or six years ago when Conte, Conte, won, yeah, yeah, Conte, Conte wanted, wanted him? him. And, and he was crucial for Croatia as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. He? And that's that's like the, the backbone of that team is that Croatian midfield, you know? And um man, I think when we lost Matic, I think Brozovic would have been like that DM that we wanted instead of Bakioko and, and could have just propelled Chelsea into, you know, a, a better season. I thought he would have he would have been a great DM for Chelsea. And I think that goes to the point about Rodri as well. I I think I don't know if you saw the interview with Pep a few weeks ago where he's or he might have even a couple of months ago where he said that the most important player position on the pitch for him is a defensive midfielder because essentially they have the game in front of them and behind and it's so reliant on that. And Rodri, I think, has it's, he's an exceptional player. He's so underrated. He's Absolutely. so underrated, not just in terms of the work he does on the ball and in front of the defence, but his his shooting is absolutely amazing as well. Like that goal that he scored yesterday, he managed to. It was like through the eye of a needle. It was Curl like it. unbelievable. Getting it past two defenders yeah. and the keeper didn't have a chance because yeah. he didn't see it. It was just a beautifully disguised shot. And I think going back to Brozovic as well, I think. We've harped on about this so much about Chelsea's need for a central defensive midfielder to sit in front of our back four and to unleash our midfielders. And I think we just watched the game yesterday where those two, the the two sides of each team, were the, those were the highlights. And I think John Stones next to Rodri for City as well just amplifies that as well, that it's such an important position to have right. And that's what wins you, wins your Champions Leagues. I think um, Pep... And you alluded to this earlier that Pep was very fortunate yesterday winning the game. Yeah. Um, I think it could have been another one that City just lost it because of the setup and just the nerves. I think if you looked at the game in the beginning, you would expect City losing two years ago and that sort of the nerves would be sort of out of the system, but they were nervous and interplayed with just a lot of calm and I mean, they had nothing to lose in that game. You can just see the swagger and they were just like they were very compact. They were they were they were in position that they had to be they made some mistakes early on, but they were able to, you know, to get away with that and, and so didn't sort of capitalize on those few mistakes except for the one at the end or one when they scored. But um, City did not look like the city that we were accustomed to. No. That, just, that just drummed through Real Madrid in that second game. But you know what? I think that's the most impressive thing probably about the win yesterday is that the expectation for them was so much higher than it's ever been probably for any Champions League finalist. It was, as we said on paper, the most biggest mismatch you could possibly ask for. And the weight of the occasion plays so heavily. And also playing Italian teams in those situations, they just they know what to do in terms of getting under the opponent's skin. And they're quite happy to play for penalties. They always do. Like, it's a legitimate strategy. And, like, you have to say City were excellent and in terms of winning the game because I just... The way it started, it felt very, very unlikely that they would. And 
the best teams in the world find a way to win when they're not playing well. And yeah. that's what they did yesterday. Obviously, we don't talk about how they got there and the means they get there, but like in isolation, Guardiola is a genius and they won the treble. And you have to say, fair enough, they were the best team by a mile in Europe this year. Yeah, I told you this is their year in the first pod. This yeah. is the year that City's going to win it. They just, they're clicking at the right time. Their midfielders are just amazing, able to interchange with their forwards. And uh, having Holland, although he didn't really do much, he had that one chance in the first no. half, but after that, he was sort of isolated. But, he, but that's, that's just, that's just does him so a much lot. ugly work yeah. up top, which is like very different to what people accustom him to. Yeah. Like he, the fact that he occupies two center backs at a time and it allows he's like, a, he's like a mixture of Henri and Drogba like he's got that physicality in terms of Drogba and the speed and the explosiveness of Henri he's like the perfect striker to have and like that kind of format like he brings players out of the game he creates space for players behind it's just a monster yeah um, so on the other side though I would have I would first of all I want to apologize and officially retract my statement about giving Lukaku a chance next season what a disaster. What a complete waste of space. What a useless wanker that guy is. When when Zeko came out, the, that's when I think Inter lost the ability to control the game. Yep. Uh, they looked really, really well until he came out. Like His hold-up play was much better than what Lukaku offered when he came in. And then having those two opportunities, one, I, I don't fault him for blocking you know, that, that shot. I think that was just a near reaction that it was just, it happened right in front of him. If you look at the replay, I think it's the header that's the yeah, worst the header, one. To me that the header was just, yeah. I mean, you got to put it, you know, away and towards I think anywhere he, else in the goal. And he made that same mistake. Uh, what was it last year in Real Madrid when he played for us the first leg at Sanford Bridge? Bridge yeah. We just sitter. Miss, yeah. Missed the sitter with that. It's just, and he did it for Belgium in the world cup this year as well. It's like, it feels like a real psychological thing. Yeah. Like we talked about it yesterday saying, we had a little conversation about Mudrick following up from what I was saying about it. And I stated that I think he's better when he's running on instinct, when he has the time to think about what he's going to do, that's when he fucks up. And I think Lukaku has similar, similar things about him as well, that the pressure of that situation where he has a couple of seconds to set himself and think about what he's going to do. Awful, awful. Where you compare compared to the composure of Rodri in that situation where he saw the ball coming, he lined himself up perfectly, he saw what was in front of him and he made that decisive call to make that kind of shot and he went full into it. And I just, that kind of winning mentality I feel that's like lacking from Lukaku and he's just, his goal record might be good, but God. Maybe we need to do a deal with Inter and maybe get either Barella or Brozovic in and, you know, or Onana and just be like, hey, let's do a swap. Bully left a swap deal. Let's try yeah, to yeah. figure something let's out. Let's trade some cash. players, baby. Exactly. <laughs> let's go we'll baseball. Mutually consider yeah. Lukaku. <laughs> mutually, yeah. mutually decision him. Mutually go. decision Lukaku. That's going to be our new phrase, by the way. Yeah, mutually decision Lukaku. Uh, but, you know, going back to the game, and we talked about this, I think we both were prepared mentally for City winning the Champions League, but it wasn't as if I was angry. Like, you know, three or four years ago when Tottenham was in the final against Liverpool, I think there was only two sets of fans in the world that was going for Liverpool, and that was Arsenal fan and Chelsea fans. I think everybody else wanted Tottenham to win. And I would have been angry had Spurs won that CL final, or even Arsenal winning a CL final, even Man U or Liverpool, you know? Like, when City won it, I was just like, you know what? They bought it. It's you know, it, it, to me, I didn't really feel like that anger or, or you know that malice or anything like that. It's just one of those situations where they're a great team. They spent 
billions of dollars on it. They have the best coach. They have the best player. It's like the dream team, I think. Yeah, and I think that speaks volumes. I feel that the attitude towards them globally is apathy because everybody knows they're cheating or have cheated. And of course you're going to win everything if you've got one of the greatest managers of all time, unlimited resources to buy the best striker in Europe, all the other players they have who are just slot seamlessly into their system. And I think there's two two ways you look at it. Like, in terms, you can be you can admire the what's in front of you, and I think it's impossible not to admire the way they play because it's just so dominant. But the means that they got there and the ways they got there, it's like as you said, like if Arsenal had won the Champions League, I would be devastated, devastated. I said I said to someone yesterday actually that at one point in the season I was so demoralised about Arsenal potentially winning the Premier League, I would have happily taken Chelsea getting relegated. <laughs> Obviously, there was a little bit of an exaggeration, but like I hate them so much that I'm just like no, 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 I'll do anything. With City, it's just like. Ugh. I mean, of course they're going to win. It's like the fucking Harlem Globetrotters of football, but at their peak, and like everyone else is like playing. It feels like a different game, and the reaction to it just everyone just is like. Ugh. I mean, except for that one guy in the bar, right? Had <laughs> <laughs> the one yay, 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 Satan. <laughs> I had a, one of my cousins is a City fan, and I was just like, oh. well, there's two of them. Yeah, yeah. there's two of them. Yeah, they yeah, exist. Right. They, we tweeted, the two non-bots. That's right. We tweeted that we were going to be live streaming from the City Bar Nashville. Unfortunately, it was empty, so we had to move to the Tottenham <laughs> yeah. Bar. <laughs> so yeah, it's interesting because like if some of the concerns we talked about in terms of Saudi Arabian influence, I mean, they're a state-owned club. They're a state-owned club by Abu Dhabi and. They have got a huge amount of questions to answer in terms of the charges that have been thrown at. And I feel that everyone's reaction to it just summed it up. Everyone, even the City fans like who were there, they must know it's tainted. They mm-hmm. must know it's tainted. And like the reaction you saw from, the, the lack of reaction you saw from them winning the... the I, just in, compare it to the reaction that we had when Chelsea won the Champions League in 2021 and the scenes... I mean, I wasn't there in Nashville, but you've sent me the videos of it happening, and I was in a bar in Brooklyn. We're in a Tottenham bar again. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, I was in a Tottenham bar in Brooklyn, and I remember people were crowd surfing, crowd surfing in the bar because of the ecstasy of winning that competition. And you just didn't see that at all from any kind of side of the world that Man City fans were based on. In the stadium, it just felt like, yay, yeah, yay. Yeah. Just, uh, Alexa, play Oasis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Gallagher was in San Diego. Right, yeah, yeah. One yeah, of the two it, two real Man City I think, fans. I think the Sheik probably exported some fans to San Diego <laughs> yeah. for for a photo op. So Noel Gallagher wouldn't be by himself in the bar. Exactly. All those all those people building the stadiums. That's right. Got to repurpose them. Yeah. But what does that mean for City moving forward, and especially next year? I think they have they have to be the favorites again, right? I mean. They're plug and play. Any sort of player that leaves, they'll 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 put in another player. Gun one may leave. Kovacic will come in. Type attitude. I think there's some slight exaggeration about their dominance in terms of the English game. I think if you look at the the nature of English football throughout history, so in the 70s and 80s, it was very dominated by Liverpool, and they used to win all the time. They would win multiple European Cups at that point, and they would win the league every year. Look in the '90s and early 2000s, Manchester United under Ferguson with that. Like when there's a generational manager who is just changing the game and modifies his game as he goes, these things happen. And 
honestly, City's dominance is attributed more the Guardiola. How they got Guardiola is the question, but Guardiola is the reason why they win things. So you have to say, as long as he's there, they are going to win it most years. There'll yeah. be different. There'll be Liverpool. Maybe in a few years' time, Chelsea can start competing again. But he's so good, and the team he has is functioning so well that it's just part of the game at the moment. You just have to suck it up. I mean, when you have the likes of Alvarez, Mares, Foden, Walker on the bench, you know, four incredible players that play for their national team, it's just it's just a wealth of talent both on and off the pitch. And their second squad that played us, they were just good, you know, yeah, they're, yeah. they're just as good. So I, I do think, I will say that their dominance will continue this year, but I think you're right, it's, it, it's probably summed up to Pep. And when Pep wants to go and tackle another um, opportunity maybe go to a national team maybe play, maybe coach for Spain or something like that maybe that will see we'll see the sort of depreciation of Man City unless you know the English uh, you know English government comes in there or whoever yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and does it for us. a bit of intervention but yeah. honestly it really sets the bar sets the high bar for the other teams like Chelsea now know where they need to get to get to, and like the way that they've Chelsea have been running the obviously using us as a main example the way that we've been running the last 10 years very different from how the previous 10 years under Abramovich was we were we had real infrastructure built upon the team about like a real core of players so Czech Terry Lampard Drogba Ashley Cole those kind of players and we won champ we won the odd Premier League after that and we won trophies here and there but the infrastructure of the club is so important for long-term success and we haven't had that and I think this is what we have to think about now and I think this is what the ownership is trying to do get a coach in who can work with multiple different players in different systems and build a, t- a team of inf- an infrastructure around them that makes the identity what it is and the young players come from that. So I'm quite hopeful in the next five years we can catch up with them. And this is a, a point that we made, yes- we were just talking about it yesterday, about Kovacic going to Manchester City. I don't care that he's going to Man City because at the moment, City is so far above us in terms of Premier League performance that they're not really the teams that we need to be compete team we are competing with because they're so more advanced than we are currently. So I don't mind he's going there. I'd much rather him go there than Liverpool or Manchester United or Spurs or someone like that or Arsenal, where they're in and around us. Where I think we're going to be competing for that that second place and hopefully try and take it from City in the next few years. But I feel it's just a different 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 level at the moment. Yeah, going back to your point, I think the Chelsea mindset and the way the club was run under Abramovich, that mindset has to change in terms of stability of coaching. I think it was sort of win now, ask questions later type mindset, and that has to lo- we have to lose it, not just as a, a, as a club, but also as fans, right? Our expectations have to change because, you know, we thought that Potter would be that long-term coach based on the pedigree, not really the pedigree, but what he's accomplished, you know, throughout his coaching career, but that didn't work out. I think getting a name like Pochettino and knowing that he's had success with the teams he's coached, Southampton and with Tottenham and, you know, with PSG, relatively dealing with all the personalities there as well. Um, I think it's important that we give him the time, we give him what he needs, we give him the stability and let him work through the academy as well as bringing in the players that he needs for this team to succeed. Next year, we, you know, we as fans cannot have huge aspirations. I think we should aim for top six, I think, re- uh, um, realistically, but maybe, you know, do well in some of the cup games, FA or Carabao or something like that, or, you know, Europe's side of the question, but we can't be quick to trigger, you know, quick to fire him or whatever, because we know he's a good coach. Yeah, and that model of football, I feel that 
the best managers ever changed the game and Guardiola has changed English football whether we like to talk about it or not and the whether the how they did it is another point but the levels of performance that this team has was it Liverpool got 98 points and finished second last year that's unheard of before Guardiola was in like absolutely unheard of so and what we won the league in 2016-17 with like 90 odd points it's not enough to win the league now. No, it's not. Anymore. So you, the, the level has been raised to such a high standard that you have to adjust to it and you have to think, okay, maybe what we did 20 years ago might not be viable now. Like the way that the scouting is and nurturing of talent within systems. Like I had read a really interesting article about Guardiola and the fact that if you take some of those players out of the City team, maybe they don't function as highly because obviously they're not working with that great coach, but they bought him, bought those players to work within a system. And Guardiola knows what they can do and the flexibility they have. And also they're happy to be bit part players throughout the time. It's only, I made this point to you yesterday, only, it's only Haaland who hasn't been dropped this season. Every other player, including the goalkeeper, has been dropped. Like, that takes a special kind of man management that you can rotate players for important games where they know what they have to do and they can step in and step out and he's just he's just outrageously good and I think where we are right now is miles off that yeah look at the players that have left City in the last couple of years and see how they've you know done did in other clubs Sterling at Chelsea Zinchenko at Arsenal Jesus at Arsenal Cancelo you know in his short-lived time and then also Sané these players have not been to that level that they were at City and I think it's based on Pep's usage of them and how he has them on the field and the formations and stuff like that and also the other players around him kind of help with that as well yeah absolutely uh, that is enough talking about Manchester City that's right so uh, we have got some ideas about what we're going to be doing this summer in terms of focusing on other teams at some point we can't, can't find any Man City fans who aren't wankers who are Gonna, not bots. Yeah, not, bots. <laughs> not bots who can, can actually speak to us. Um, so that is enough Man City this season. That we're not going to even mention them again. That's right. We'll they're, be talking about some, vocabulary. Yeah, exactly. We'll be talking about some of the other teams who actually have some real supporters. But we thought about what we're going to talk about next with Chelsea is moving forward. So we have both come up with a what we think is going to be our starting eleven on opening day around August twelfth which hopefully I think we find out the games very t- very soon next week actually so we've both put our starting 11s together so I feel that we need to we need to put something on this it should be a wager yeah let's do a wager okay a wager. so as we I had an idea let's see if you see if you work with this one so we've got a live show coming up in August the first weekend I think we'll get the team sheet probably an hour before so whoever gets <laughs> whoever gets the most right in the 11 uh the other the other person has to wear a dunce hat the entire first game perfect okay perfect. Done. and during the live podcast and during the live podcast yep so all right that's the wager we're, and then we're shaking yep, on it now we're shaking, shaking on it now. now you can absolutely hear the handshake yeah, and then you have to drink an irish gin and tonic as well okay a <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, uh, self-made self-made irish, irish gin. gin and tonic okay that's right okay cool i will, I will find the potato gin and okay. drink it <laughs> Just for you. <laughs> Thank you. I can't wait. Can't wait to drink some BO. Um, so let's go through our projected starting 11. So these are starting 11s of players who exist in the squad and also who we think might be signed. So instead of going through the transfer market of who we're going to bring in exactly, I mean, we've got so many players currently. Yeah. I think it's impossible to do more than a starting 11. So 
let's let's go through both of our starting levers position by position and see see where we differ and you know they call me nostromani that's my nickname <laughs> i can predict the future just like i predicted the relegation battle and the, the, and the champions league winner yeah, yeah, that's, right, yeah. that's right it's really really that's just what i do man that's yeah. just what i do okay so let's start with goalkeeper so who have you got in goal yeah i have keppa okay i uh, think keppa staying he, i think he's going to be our starting goalkeeper okay so i've gone for a a ballsy move here. I've gone for Onana from Inter Milan. Ooh, yeah, we'll swap deal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> for many or Kepa, I think right. it seems like a real prerogative of Pochettino to bring in a goalkeeper. And there's been rumblings of multiple deals being talked of behind the scenes. I think Onana. I was really, really impressed with him yesterday. It's the first time I've watched him really in detail, and I think his distribution as you mentioned earlier in terms of setting up the play was absolutely exceptional like he broke man city's press every single time and his positioning in terms of goalkeeping i mean he couldn't do anything about the goal but his positioning for the rest of it was very very good and i thought he looked very composed so if we can get him i'll be very happy yeah and the reason why i say keppa it's, i think it's going to be hard to unload two goalkeepers yeah and i think poch will probably stick with somebody who has some experience playing with the center backs that we'll be talking about next. And so yeah. I think that's why Kepa may get to start in the beginning. And if a new goalkeeper does come in, that they'll sort of phase them in into the future of the season. So that's why I chose Kepa. I think Mendy, you got to sell Mendy. Kepa, it's going to be hard for yeah, somebody to purchase him. it's going to be way him. easier to shift Mendy. Exactly, especially with those wages. So I think Kepa will be here for another year. And I think um, he'll be a good backup option or play in the cup games like he did um, you know, a couple years ago. Um, so I think Kepa will start. I think that whoever we sign, whether it's um, Onana or... Um, Who's AC Milan keeper that we were? Manion, really, uh, yeah, Manion, yeah. Uh, maybe him. Who knows? Um, one of those two individuals. Maybe um, somebody else that's been uh, relegated. Yeah. Leeds goalkeeper Jordan Pickford. Oh yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Can you imagine if we get Ivan Milia from Leeds? <laughs> we right? will get relegated absolutely. if we sign him. He's absolutely <laughs> atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. There was an article that came out. I think this morning where he says it's. I don't want to go to Chelsea. I don't want to be a second-rate goalkeeper on Chelsea. Like, bro, we don't want you. Yeah. <laughs> we what don't. planet do you live on, mate? Exactly. Honestly, that is mad. Yeah. Okay, so let's go through the back line. Who have you got um, as your four defenders? Yeah, so I got Reese, right fullback. I got uh, Ben Chilwell, left fullback. And I got my two centre-back pairings of Fofana and Silva. Okay. For me, I've gone Malagusto at right back because I have absolutely zero faith that Reese James will be fit. Uh, and then I've got Wesley Fofana at right back. Levi Colwell at left centre-back. And Ben Chilwell. All right. So, yeah. The reasoning behind my decisions there. So, as I mentioned, Reese, I just have no faith in that he'll be fit in time for the season, or if he does, he'll pick up an injury. I think Pochettino, from what I've read, is really going to focus on um, our youth and moving youth products forwards. And I think that Thiago Silva might be playing a slightly more reserved role next year in terms of leadership behind the scenes. And I think. Colwell was so important to the future of Chelsea that him and Fafana, I think, well, especially because Badia Shia was going to be injured, I think, for this opening yeah. day. I think this is his real opportunity to blood him and put him in and uh, chill well and I think will work well with the next two again if he stays fit. So I chose, I think, uh, Reese James just because I think he, he was almost healthy to play this last, you know, the last couple games. I think he had a little minor setback is what they say. So I think he'll have enough time over the summer to get to that, to that position. I think if he's healthy, you cannot not play Reese James. You know, we don't know what Malagusa can offer. We don't know how he's going to play in the Premier League, right? This will be—you can't start in the first game. 
if reshape might not have any thing. options though yeah i know i mean it's true but it, maybe you can start as <laughs> or, or trevor chalaba <laughs> yeah. uh no I, I think reese james will start if he's healthy i think silva has to start just because it's the first game of the year you want to have that cornerback the center back goalkeeper sort of um uh, partnership and they've, they've played with each other and the relationship is there so i think he has to play i think cole will will come in at some point and take over but i think in the beginning, Silva will start if he's, you know, if he's going to play with Fafana and then Chilwell. Obviously, we both think he's going to be playing the left fullback position. Um, but I think Silva has to start just because it's the first game of the year. It's, it's a lot on the line. You want the stability. You want the partnership. You want the relationship that he has with Kepa and the and, and the midfielders. So I think he'll start. Okay. So I forgot to ask. I'm basing my opinion on having a four-three-three. Is yours? Yes, mine's uh, four-two-three-one. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So, who are your midfielders? Uh, I have uh, Canseda and Enzo. Interesting. I have them as well, but as a three, I have three. Okay. And I've got Kai playing the number ten. So I have Kai also in my as my advancing midfielder. So we're exactly the same. Yeah. Cool. S- same midfield. Yeah. Um, what's your logic behind Sacedo? Uh I think I think since we lost out um, with the Uruguayan midfielder that we were linked to earlier, I'm not going to say his name because I'm kind of upset about it. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that you have to go for the next best option. I think he's the next best option. And I think seeing how well he played at Brighton, I mean, he was just so good at ball progression. Not on the, and he was good at tackling. He was good at making some interceptions as well. So he has a defensive mindset as well. And I think he'll provide the freedom for Enzo to do what he wants to do in that four-two-three-one position. I think he's a perfect replacement for Kante. I think if you're looking at in terms of energy and ability to move around the field, but also his tackling and distribution, I think yeah. he's perfect partner for Enzo. Um, and I think. I don't like it, but I just I he seems like a bad rash that I can't get off my body yeah. and that's Kai Havertz. Yeah. I think he's not gonna go to Real Madrid, I don't think. I don't think there's gonna be any other team that's gonna offer the money that we want for him. And I think Pochettino might give him a try in that position. Um and I just think he'll be he'll be there, yeah. unfortunately. And I don't listen, I don't want to go on too hard on him, but I think he's underwhelming. It's his birthday play. today. You can't go hard on happy him. Happy birthday, know? Kai. That's right. Uh, no, that's I, the most genuine happy birthday you ever going to get from me. <laughs> that was, did you hear the enthusiasm happy in my birthday, voice? Happy Kai. birthday, Kai. <laughs> that was like, uh, uh, t- <laughs> like that was about the enthusiasm of you know saying happy birthday to the uncle you don't really like, right? <laughs> uh, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. Happy See birthday. You later. Yeah. No, I think Kai has to start. I think he's going to be he's going to be in that role that it's meant for him in then the ten role with a striker that we if we may have a striker at that point. Um, I think we talked about it last week, Kai versus Mount. I'm on Team Kai. I think he has, it, it, when he's dropping back into the midfield and helping with the buildup, I think that's he's done a great job. He did that really well with Potter in the 3-4-3 formation when he came back and kind of helped up with the midfield. I think that's 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 his strength, is helping the build up. It's not holding up. It's helping up in the build up and distributing uh, to the wide players. I think he's going to do really, really well in that position. Cool. Who have you got three up front? Yeah, so I got Sterling. Yep. And Cuckoo. Yep. And uh, Marueke. Okay. I think it's very I, similar. I think Nkuku will be our, our nine for right now. I think he will be as well. Yeah. I've put Mudrik and Sterling there. Okay. I So Nkuku, Mudrik and Sterling. Yeah, I think the striker thing... I think we really want a striker, but I think the availability of top ones on the market in terms of what we can get, I think is really limited. And I think from what I understand of the way that we've been approaching the transfer market so far is that we're not going to break the bank for players who are, we're not completely invested in. And I think if we can't get Osiman from Napoli, 
I think Nkuku is the second choice. And he came out today or yesterday today and saying, I'll play wherever Potch tells me to play. I'll play in the nine position. I'll play in the 10 position. I'll play wherever he wants me to play. And he has that ability. He is one of the best attacking players in Europe currently. And he's very, very unpredictable. And I think he's versatile. Not in the same way that Havertz is versatile, where people don't really know where his best position is. I think Nkuku is so dynamic and flexible that he can move across. And I think the way that Pochettino wants to play, I think that if you think way Kane played for him at Tottenham, his ability to set up and distribute to the wide players in the midfield, I think it's really, really important. And I think Nkuku could do that as well. And I also see Nkuku and Havertz sort of interchanging as well in that uh, maybe they'll play a top two, two strikers up top or whatnot. And that could also work, you know, in like a sort of a modified 4-4-2 rotation, you know, going from 4-2-3-1 back into a 4-4-2 on attack or something like that. So I yeah. think that's another option that Poch can do. Yep, for sure. And it's really interesting, actually, like thinking about we aligned quite closely. There's some key differentials, which yeah. I think will come into play. I mean, if the goalkeeper is wrong, then yeah. one of us is fucked. Yeah, um, <laughs> not even that. If Reese is healthy, <laughs> yeah. you can be wearing a done fat. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've, I think I've gone for a bit of a riskier first 11, yeah, to be honest. 100%, I think so as well. I think I'm more conservative just in the mindset that I think first game of the year, you know, we want our sexy new signings to play, but you also want to be able to if we don't have a very good off season with these new players coming in where they don't have the time, like we didn't have last summer, where we're just traveling across the U S I think that Poch will just go with stability and partnership and relationships with Silva, Kepa, Reese James, sort of like playing that instead of bringing in Gusto or Colwell. Yeah. But I think they will play at some point. hundred percent. I find it very interesting. The players that we both admitted yeah. from our starting 11. So there's obviously some screaming names there that, yeah. I just can't think past, like, uh, neither of us have even considered Mason Mount. No. I mean, he's gone. He's you gone. think so? Yeah, 100% he's gone. I think um, they're just they're going to negotiate a price, whether it's 65, 70 million pounds to 50 million pounds. It's going to be around that uh, mindset. I think he's gone for sure. And I think with him gone, I think we lose it on Declan Rice. Mm-hmm. I think Rice is going to go to Arsenal. It just pains me to say that, but I think he'll go to Arsenal as well. I would love to have Declan Rice if we don't get Conceito, but I think they're both good options. Yeah, I, I, I've... Rice would be my number one choice, but I just, again, I, I, I'm very much in alignment with you. I don't think it's happening. But I have to say, some of the things I've been reading this morning about from Fabrizio Romano, who's the transfer guru, if people don't know who he is, was saying that there's a lot of work Chelsea are doing behind the scenes that people don't know about. And I think a lot of it's to do with moving players on from the squad, but also I think there's a lot of discussions going on about players. The transfer window only opened this week, I think, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's a long way to go and I feel that there's going to be some twists and turns that we're not expecting and I think they're trying to be a lot more controlling of the information leaking than they have been previously. I think everyone knew that we were back in Renzo quite quickly. The Mudrick thing was kept under wraps to a certain extent but I think they... Well, we didn't even know about Badia Shill until yeah, it yeah. happened a couple of days. We didn't even know about um, uh, the other Fafana, the striker Fafana. We didn't know about... You know, a lot of the Madueke, you know, yeah. they just, the, these signings just came that came up. And there was something very encouraging that was reported about Pochettino as well with Ugarte, who's the sporting... Oh, we're not saying his name. Okay, the, the chap who went to Paris, <laughs> Paris <laughs> to play for another state-owned club. Um, he was appreciative of us not breaking the bank to get him because he made it clear that breaking the wage structure can cause some internal conflict within the dressing room which might be some of the root of some of our dressing room problems yeah. previously and I think I'm very happy about that in terms of if that is the approach where he's on board being like I want this player but not at all costs 
I like that. And you have to think that our scouting network is now developed enough that you obviously have an ideal first choice, but it's not shit or bust. It's literally, we think about, okay, who's the first choice? Who's the second choice? If we don't get our third choice, we look from within. And I think the midfield in particular, we've got some very exciting young players who might be proving that they're they're ready to play. So hopefully we can see that. This brings us to the end of our 13th episode. 13. Again, thank you guys all for listening and stay in touch with our socials. We're going to bring some incredible content this summer. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. That's C-A-T-W podcast, C-A-T-W podcast on Twitter or Instagram. And again, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions for the summer, or want to hook up with us in Nashville or in North Carolina for the Wrexham game, Email us at podcastcatw at gmail.com. That's podcastcatw at gmail.com. Yeah, as Manny mentioned, we're going to be doing some more interactive pods over the next uh, couple of months. So please do send any questions in. We really want to have some viewer questions at some point. That would be really fun. Um, And as I mentioned previously, if you are whatever platform you're listening on, please give us a five-star review if you like the show. We really want to get to more people as we as many people as we possibly can really especially in the build up to the events so thank you so much for listening and everybody keep the faith and we'll see you next time thank you very much